you know, you definitely will know where you are in a friendship if your eyes don't light up. Like if you're like, if you feel this heaviness, almost like, all right, I know when this person comes in the room, I'm going to have to do, uh, we're going to have to definitely talk about this because of all these things. It's almost like it feels like a job. Clark and I'm your host in the Lounge and Filtered podcast. Welcome. Today, our very first episode features Tiffany Martin, a high school teacher who proudly served the public school system in New York City. She graduated from high school for environmental studies before attending SUNY Plattsburgh, where she earned her bachelor's and master's in education all before the age of 21. Can you say focused? Yes. She's a Bronx native who enjoys reading literature, knitting, and watching movies. In fact, her favorite movie is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. (laughs) I really like that movie too. Tiffany recently relocated to Baltimore, Beam on the House, and looks forward to continuing her teaching journey. With her strong educational background and her commitment to anti-complacency, Tiffany will stun us all in her new endeavor. Without further ado, my former colleague and now friend, Tiffany Martin. Welcome. Hi. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for being our first guest. Thank you for wanting to interview me. <laughs> oh, oh yes, honey. Um, so let's, let, let's begin with my big fat Greek wedding. So one of the most memorable parts of the movie was this notion that Windex, yes, the blue cleaning solution, <laughs> clears blemishes. <laughs> have you ever used Windex to clear a blemish? Now, I haven't, but I know when I was younger and I watched it, I was very curious about it, but I never, I guess, what I, how can I say it, and like, did anything with that curiosity. I was just like, hmm. But I know growing up, like, natural remedies is a huge thing. My family's from Jamaica, so, like, my mom... She would like have like if you had a sore throat, like putting, you know, wine on a cloth and tying it around your neck, as well as just like various other things. Like if you had a fever, like rubbing your body down with alcohol and like wrapping yourself up and like bundling under a blanket. So I know like those things exist, but I just didn't try Windex. But I know natural remedies are a huge thing. Interesting. Okay, so I want to circle back to this tying, uh, tying a, a cloth. <laughs> in wine dipped in wine around your neck now does that actually work it does i i feel like it does you know i've done it a lot when i was younger and various people in my family and it's like you put it on your neck and i think like truly for me it was like the next day i feel better and if it really is bothering you they give you like a shot of the wine Oh, interesting. This this is news for me. I, I've never heard of this. This sounds really, really interesting. <laughs> Let's Caribbean folk remedies. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I embrace it all. <laughs> all right. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are three words to describe you? How would you describe yourself? Well, other than being a teacher, I know like, you know, I'm Bronx native and I'm looking to revamp myself during this pandemic because I truly believe 2020 is not over and, you know, I'm going to claim it. And the three words that I guess describe me would definitely be persistent, curious and hopeful. Ooh, I love that. Why persistent, curious and hopeful? I think I've just been persistent about things that I want. And I think if anything, COVID has taught me, you know, you got to keep being and pursuing these things, keep being persistent and persevering. And I'm curious, you know, just in general, like these are 
questionable times and it just always leaves me like wondering like what's happening next like what moves am I making and I'm hopeful that everything that I'm doing is setting myself up for better Mm, I love that I love that all right. So on your bio form, which is a form guest complete prior to being on the show, you indicated that you were proud of the stance you took in 2020. May you please tell us more about that? Well, when it came to the stance, without going to so many details, but I know, you know, I've had like colleagues, you and a lot of people that helped me out through this situation that happened. But it was really in my career um, with the New York City Public School. I didn't appreciate how a situation was being handled. And so I made the decision that I needed to just do continue with my teaching, but do it somewhere else in an environment that I felt was better for me to flourish as a teacher, as an educator, just in various things for my mental health and just well-being. I think I just need to go to a different place. Now, I know I left for a lot of reasons, you know, fear, all these other things played a role in it. But when I keep circling back to the decision I made, one thing that stands in my mind is that I made the decision because I know I have options and I'm going to use those options. It doesn't make sense for me to stay in a place that I don't feel comfortable in um, and with this fear like, oh, this is it. Like, I just got to put up with it and I don't have to. I love that. I love that. This this idea of having options. And I know many people can relate to that when you have to make a decision, especially when you're uncomfortable in a situation and you're you're trying to decide whether or not you should stay or go. And at the time, sometimes when it's thick of it, we feel like we don't have options. Or we're mm-hmm. making, you know, a fear-based decision. But I'm glad you were able to counsel with members of your tribe, including your friends and, you know, other people you, you yes. mentioned, where you were able to make that decision in confidence and know that, no, my reality is that I do have options and I don't have to feel stuck. I really appreciate you saying that. You're welcome. And, yeah, I definitely want to highlight that like you know a lot of people think that there's nothing like this is all I'm gonna get out of life but you have so much life that you that there's always something else I love that always something else all right now on your bio form you also indicated that your determination was to be better in 2020 what does being better mean for you Well, being better for me means pursuing ventures that I have placed on the back burner. Uh, I know that various, like I have two of my best friends are pursuing businesses and they actually inspired me to do something with my craft. So I'm into knitting, I'm into all these things. I I always do these things when I'm stressed or just any time I have downtime, I um, craft a lot. So I wanna do something with that, pursuing a business venture, but also honing in on my skills and my crafts with teaching. I recently attended a program that is all about equity and excellence in education. And I want to use those skills to perfect what I'm doing. I'm relatively young in my career, well, extremely young in my career. And I think there's so much room for me to grow. So that's what I mean by being better. It's just personal growth and using those tools and the skills that I have and just honing in on them. I love that. I love that. Using the tools that you already have and, and, and using resources to hone in on them. I love that. I love that. Um, I also want to build upon what you're saying. So you in, I indicated that you were anti-complacent, um, a term that I just coined. Tell us what complacency means to you and how you circumvent that. 
complacency to me it means like it's like a routine where you feel like it's a rut uh there's nothing wrong routine i think routine is like definitely the backbone to success you gotta like um have some routines that you keep in place you know you just can't go into anything just wildly doing it but the moment that the routine or the cycle starts owning your life almost in a way of like i was waking up and just going to work and then on weekends i would do like one thing for myself and I would just wake up and go to work. And I really thought about it. And my, you know, speaking to my sister that's been in her career longer than I have, and thinking like, is this just life? Like I did all like my entire time of going through school and doing things. I definitely kept a routine, but I achieved the goal and I moved on to something else. I was always felt like I was growing or elevating. And now I'm at a place where it's just like I get up and I go to work. That's it. There's no elevation here. And that's where I think the complacency is when you feel like you're at a level or a stage and you're not moving and you just kind of accept it. And then that's it really starts to eat you. It consumes you that system rather than you owning it. So that's that's what complacency and that's something you want to avoid altogether. Mm, I love that. Just making sure that you always feel elevated. I love the I love the way you use that word. And so what are yep. some what are some things that you've done where you where you feel like you're elevating? I know that I have gone back to school to pursue like credits in different, um, just in different ways I want to, where I want to go, my, my education degree, as well as like the program I did over the summer. And not only in education, cause you know, career wise, you can always feel like, all right, am I doing everything for my career? I've also pursued more with the crafts department, you know, making more things and really thinking and putting the idea in my mind, like, you know, you could create something out of this it doesn't have to be something that's just done on the side when you're stressed out so and to be anti-complacent and you know to circumvent complacency i think the hugest thing you have to do is do things that are out of the routine things that show that you are in control of it like all right if i did all this let me go to like a zumba class so i try to implement more things into my schedule that are like all right this is for you you're doing this for your enjoyment and things that bring you joy recently speaking to my best friend and really having that conversation of like why are we doing this like is it bringing us joy and implementing more things into our life that bring us joy because you only have one life you have to do something that brings you joy and you can't just be in a rut all the time Wow, that was that was insightful, Tiffany. And I just want to <laughs> highlight what you said. Leveling up means incorporating things into your routine, into your daily life that bring yeah. you joy. I love that. And how would you recommend someone finding out what brings them joy? What, what could they do to discover exactly what it is that brings them joy, especially when they find themselves, like you said, in a rut, in a, in a routine, a hamster wheel of doing the same thing day in and day out. Many of us may forget what exactly brings us joy. Well, what advice can you give to those people in finding out? I think like I I feel in ourselves that we we know like almost subconsciously what brings us joy. Cause I know for me, it became like the thing I went to when I was 
stress like when I feel like so like when when the rut was just really heavy what were some things I did to get out of it and I know for me it was definitely the crafting hanging out with my friends and also I tried to throw myself into different ventures like I had a friend um, that's making her soap business and my other friend was having a baby shower so she was like hey you want to make soap favors so that became something just like opening myself up to opening myself up to those experiences but also realizing like what is it that you typically go back to and I'm like I go back to things that I, I can do with my hands I'm like I like creating something and maybe soap wasn't for me but I realized that I'm like I create something and that's that's something that I feel is taking me out of the rut and that's how you find your joy you have to see what you typically go back to it does take a moment of like stepping out of yourself and like hyper analyzing like what is it that I do when I'm stressed and how can this be something that I do productively and make something out of rather than just making it only an outlet oh that was that was powerful so it almost sounds like you, in a way, you're using your outlet to fuel mm-hmm. your passion and your purpose. Yes. Oh, I, I love that. I love that, Tiffany. Um, also, you mentioned yes. the importance of personal reflection. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Personal reflection is something that I think I am currently going through. It's an on going journey but personal reflection is when you just take a moment to really ask yourself or at least I ask myself three questions what am I doing and why am I doing it and where is this gonna like go like where whatever I'm doing where where am I gonna go from this those are the questions I always return back to because I just want to know like just taking a moment because life is just like you go there's 24 hours in a day but it feels like there's less because you're constantly moving and just having a moment where you just kind of sit within yourself, even if it would just be on like a bus. I know when I'm driving and doing my commute, I probably won't turn on the radio some of the time and just kind of think like, all right, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And where am I going from this? I love those questions. As a matter of fact, say that one more time. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And where am I going from this? I, I, I love those questions, Tiffany. And as a matter of fact, um, the reason why I love those prompts is because I'm actually part of a journaling community called the Faith Activating Journaling Community uh, by Rachel Luna. And we use journaling for one to connect with God to, or, or whatever it is, you know, that you believe in your higher self, um, whatever yes. it is that you believe in for me, God. And um, to connect with, you know, with God and strengthen your spirituality. And also to find those those deep answers that we all have within to those burning questions. So it's a lot, mm-hmm. of, yeah, it's a lot of self-reflecting. I'm, I'm always constantly asking myself, what do I want and why do I want it? So I'm, I'm going to incorporate those, those questions you just put out there into my, my routine. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I really like those questions. What do I want and why do I want it? That's really nice. Yeah, yeah. So I like I, don't oh. ask myself those questions often. That's the thing. Mm, you said you do ask yourself those questions. No, I'm saying what people we don't typically ask ourselves those questions often. We kind of just say them like once in a while. But I think if we really dedicate time to asking, it can be beneficial. I, absolutely. 
absolutely. And I think asking those questions helps us to be clear on our vision. A lot of yes. times we're chasing a shiny thing, not really understanding why we want it. And so I think having that clear understanding of why we want something keeps us on path and keeps yeah. us, yeah, keeps us pushing forward on whatever it is that we want in spite of the opposition or hardship. So uh, I think self-reflection, uh, personal reflection is definitely key to elevating. I agree. All right. So you mentioned wanting to talk about friendships, particularly among black women um, from high school to career life. Mm-hmm. Tell us some of your experiences with friendships as a black woman. Uh, I've made most of my friendships. I have three friendships that I hold near and dear to my heart. And they were made, two of them were formed in high school at HSCS, High School for Environmental Studies. And another one that I made early on in college, like almost like the moment I stepped on campus, we became instant friends. And the two friends I made from high school were Rocio and Cheyenne. And my college friend was just set. And we're all women of color. And, you know, being a woman of color in society, there's so much that comes with that. Like, you know, pressures that you put on yourself, pressures that society puts on you. And it's just complex when you have all those things that you're battling with and then finding, like, you could say your tribe. And those are three women that I can say are definitely part of my tribe. But the hardship that comes with friendship, um, any color and shade, is I formed that friendship in high school and co- and one in college. Those are ins- insulated environments where you have the the routine of high school, you have the routine of college, and then also the borders of the college campus that you kind of are forced, and not in a bad way, but you always have that time. Like if there's there's no doubt that I'm gonna see you Monday through Friday, and there's in in college there's no doubt I'm gonna see you seven days a week. Like if you're on campus. So there's always that chance and that opportunity for time. And you all have like, this, almost like time has been carved out of your day to foster and grow a friendship. But the hardship comes is when those security nets are gone. Like, you know, I graduated from college. I graduated from high school. And now you're in life or the real world, you could say. You've always been there, but now you're in the world and you were all working, we're all pursuing ventures. Like my two high school friends, one is starting a family, you know, getting married, starting a business. And the other one is also starting a business. And my friend from college is going to law school. So we're just completely different directions in life. And we're all relatively new in these directions that we're going in. So we have to dedicate some, some a massive amount of our time to those ventures. And now you have to think strategically about how can we still build our friendships? Because our friendships are still here and I still want to keep them because they're really near and dear to me. But how can I take out of the time that's remaining after I give to my career, take time out of that to really be like, all right, I have to carve out for our friendship. Like school and campus life is not there to carve it out for me. I have to carve it out for myself and thinking strategically and purposely about that. And that's the hardship that comes. Interesting, interesting. So what I hear you saying is that prior to you guys going into your adult lives as professionals, there was this buffer that was in place that is no longer there. So now you have to be intentional with Mm -hmm. maintaining those friendships. Same as with any relationship. In my experience, I do, you know, I can agree with you that I have to be very intentional about 
my friendships and making time for those friendships and forming uh, conversations with those friends, new conversations with those friends and making sure that that, 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 mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, that bond is still there. So I, yeah, I, I definitely can relate to what you're saying. I love what you said about new conversations. That's another point is that in a carving out that new time for our friendship, also realizing that you got to make new memories because it's so easy. Like now I'm like, we're all in our twenties. So we're not that far away from the time when we became friends, but you can only talk about high school and college for so long. Like there's going to be a point where it's like, is this all we're talking about? And that that sometimes can breed life out of a friendship. So in terms of those new conversations, it's also creating new memories. And that's a huge point that I want to really work on is creating those new memories so that we have something to pull from and always staying current with our friendship. Oh, I love that. Creating new memories. I love that. So we always have something to pull from. And I think in doing that, you allow each other the space to grow with each other. So even though you may be growing Mm -hmm. separately, you're still growing in essence together because you are putting an effort, being intentional about creating new memories. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Now I know you read the book and you brought it up during our private conversation. I read it a long time ago, longer than I care to remember. Can you briefly summarize the book for our listeners and tell us why you're so drawn to it? Ooh, Sula by Toni Morrison is a powerful novel. Well, one, any novel Toni writes is powerful. Like she's she's a very powerful writer and she plays a lot in these themes of black, but also black women and what it means to be a black woman in society, femininity with the black woman and thinking about all these complex things that come with it and how sometimes as black women there's this pressure to be so strong like you could take on the world to the point that it's it's hard to be vulnerable and that's like truly where the black women in friendship piece comes in like these are the these three women that listed are the three women that i feel i can be my most vulnerable self and not feel like i'll be taken advantage of which is like too often in history uh, with women black or white but especially with black women vulnerability has led to like the trauma that is plaguing us today and um, forced vulnerability or vulnerability that we just gave. And Sula plays a lot with um, black friendship and speaking on these two black women called Sula and Nell. And I actually fell in love with Toni Morrison throughout my life from seventh grade on, but I really fell in love with her in college after I had a professor, Professor Guzio. She was a little Irish lady, but I loved how she taught black literature. And she actually, she was my college mom and she gave me a piece that said, you are your best thing. And that truly is the essence of Sula. Cause um, Sula and Nell are two friends that grow up together and they truly grow up as one person. They have the same ideas. They finish each other's sentences. Kind of like how friendships start. Like you are, you feel like you know what your friend is thinking. And especially when you have the, the environments of high school and college where you're always around them, you start really almost like sinking with your friend and they were inseparable at the beginning but just like in life people grow up and they get older and they became women Sula goes out to the city she comes back to the town and her and Nell are now in two different places of life one Sula's unmarried and from the city she's seen a different life 
And Nell is now married with kids. And not to say Nell is boring, because by no means is Nell boring. She's still a complex woman. But it talks about how their friendship has to now grow in a place where they, they've never been before. And, you know, Sula, I think, represents you owning yourself and saying, you know, I don't have to be a mother or a wife. And, like, if you're my friend, then you should be cool with that kind of thing. Like, we are all in our different places and owning who you are. But their friendship really represents owning who you are and knowing that inseparable, I think early on in friendships, inseparable is like, we have to be doing the same thing. And almost like, us subconsciously we, we do do the same things we travel in the same groups we we gravitate towards the same things that's why we became friends to begin with but as we keep growing inseparable that concept does change like we can be separated and still inseparable like we can be tied together like a knot but the rope has gotten longer but and that's what Sula talks about is that they are now separated but growing together and all the ups and downs that come with that like Sula is a character that I think when you read it at the surface you really don't like her because of the things that happen and you're like oh my gosh you're so harsh but then when you really dig deep she's representing that no I'm just owning who I am and it's it, it does battle our friendships sometimes like me owning who I am and you and I learning who each other are but when they really do start to grow together, you realize like, wow, they, they are inseparable. They're just growing separately. Wow, I love that. So basically what I'm hearing you say is that um, first, you know, growing, you can mm-hmm. be inseparable, but still growing together. Even though you're, you have your differences and you're living yes. separate lives, you can still grow together. I hear that piece. I love that. And then I also wanted to circle back to what you said about uh, vulnerability. Now, you, you made a distinction between vulnerability and forced vulner- vulnerability. Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Well, in terms of the historical nature with black women, you know, uh, just in general, like uh, my sister's a nurse. She's reading this book called Medical Apartheid. And majority of the cases that they speak about that have led to scientific advancements have been at the the um, cause of black women and their health and body. And that's like forcing that vulnerability. Like it's um, one, a slave, like just the idea and concept of slavery is forced vulnerability. Like you are going to do what I say, or you're gonna um, subject, your, you're gonna subject yourself to this because if you don't do that, I'm not gonna feed you, I'm not gonna clothe you, I'm go- or rather less, I'm gonna kill you or your children. And that living with that constant threat and trauma does lead to this false vulnerability. Like, I, I'm so hopeless, like what's gonna happen here? Um, I have no power in these situations. And while in other situations, we are vulnerable out of choice. Like I choose to be and let um, Rocio Cheyenne just said, see these different sides of me that, you know, I don't show everyone on a typical day. Like they've seen me cry. They've, they've, you know, all these things. I say I don't cry in general, but just having these moments where I'm like, I feel I can be who I am and show all these facets of myself when in, I think, being a black woman in society, too frequently we just, in different things, we show one facet of ourselves. Like, when I'm in the classroom, sometimes I only show, like, one facet. Like, this is me as a professional. I never want anyone here to see me as an angry black woman. So I'm never going to raise my voice almost in these moments. I'm just going to show one facet of myself. And then when I go to my doctor's office, I'm going to show one facet of myself there. And then when I'm in different situations in the world, I'll show facets of myself. While where the vulnerability comes in is when I can show all of that 
to my friends. Like they see me multi, multifaceted. And that's where that vulnerability comes in. And being okay with that. Like you can see the good, the bad, and the ugly because I trust you. I love that. I love that. And that also ties into being who you are. Uh, you just a point you just raised a minute ago. I also appreciate you clarifying the distinction between vulnerability and forced vulnerability. It almost reminds me of surrendering versus versus uh, submission. Surrendering, you know, mm-hmm. you're willfully giving yourself yeah. to whatever it is. I'll be a God or or a friendship or marriage, whatever it is versus submission for some uh mm-hmm. could be you know may feel a, a, a bit more uh, forced yes so i i definitely appreciate you making that distinction and also bringing up that book medical apartheid that sounds like a good read and i'm actually looking mm-hmm. forward to to finding out more information about that book so it's really good yeah i'm, I'm actually really really intrigued now so I wanted to circle back to Toni Morrison. You brought up to- the late, great Toni Morrison. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the late, great Toni Morrison. And I remember <laughs> seeing her featured on Oprah years ago. And she mm-hmm. said something that I never forgot. She says, uh, she said, do your eyes light up when a child walks in the room? And at the, mm-hmm. yeah, at the time, she told this story about her son and how her son always thought that he was not, uh, I believe that she didn't, she wasn't proud of him. I believe that that's what she said. I'm just, I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. And that he was always under the impression that she wasn't proud of him. And, mm. um, you know, because whenever you walked in a room, she'd critique him, you know, make sure your pants are up, make sure, you know, you're, you're neat, that sort of thing. And this was prior to me having a child, but I never forgot when she said that, do your eyes light up when a child walks in the room? And I, at the time, again, I didn't have a child, but I said, wow, what about, I think Oprah brought this up, I don't remember who, but what if you approach the people in your life like that, including my friends, right? Or anybody that I have a relationship with. Do my eyes light up when they walk in the room? Now, I can't say that I've lived by that (laughs) since then. But, you know, speak when I think about it. it, And and I think about the times where people, where my eyes have lit up. When I've seen people and they felt that energy. Those relationships have sustained um, over the years. Even if we go weeks or months without speaking because that energy was still there. So I, you know, I, I, I brought that up to say just making the people in our life feel important, right? Because if someone's eyes light up uh, when you walk in the room, you feel important. Like, wow, this person is really happy to see me. I, I'm making an impact in this person's life. So hearing you speak in, 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 in our conversation, I'm learning, right, that that is part of cultivating friendships or sustaining the friendships I already have in place making my friends feel validated, important, significant in my life. I think it also speaks to healthy friendship. Like, you know, you definitely will know where you are in a friendship if your eyes don't light up. Like, if you're like, if you feel this heaviness, almost like, all right, I know when this person comes in the room, I'm going to have to do, uh, we're going to have to definitely talk about this because of all these things. It's almost like it feels like a job. But I know with the three friendships, and I love that quote, I can definitely say that my my eyes warm up and when I do see them, my eyes do light up because 
it's like that moment where you're like, I now I know why we were friends. It's like I know why we were friends, and it's still there. It's still lasting, and it it makes me feel happy. And friendship is something that you shouldn't feel like you are working for, but you're working on. Like, all right, I'm working on building my friendship rather than I'm working for my friendship, because then it just it does feel heavy, and it, it's not gonna lighten your day up. So those are things like you know distinguishing that that healthy from the the good. Like these are good sustain. These are what I want to sustain in my life. Ooh, I love that. Working, working in, say that one more time. Working on, like I'm working on building it rather than working for it. Like I'm clocking in for work, for this friendship. I, I love that. So you're not necessarily, it's it's like that, that uh, quote from Dr. Seuss, those who matter don't mind and those who mind yes. don't matter. <laughs> it reminds, I love that. Yes, it remi- I know I'm just full of quotes today, but it reminds me of that quote, working on a friendship versus working for a friendship. So you, it, it, and it also with that mindset gives you the freedom to be who you are. For me, it gives me the freedom to be who I am. I don't have to appeal to them because they what I am already is enough. There's nothing yeah. I have, you know, I don't have to do anything additional to, to gain their approval for anything. Now mm-hmm. it's about making sure that I meet their needs and my needs are, are, are met in return. Which by the way changes, right? Our needs changes yeah. over the course of, of the years in any relationship, especially in a friendship. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And thank you. I like that. I light up. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love. I never forgot when she said that. I, I love when she said that. So, what does last last question is? What does Sula symbolize for your own life? Sula symbolizes, I think, for me, owning who I am and what I do, but also like you know, going back to that Toni Morrison quote you are your best thing. Like you are your best you in a way. That's how I interpret it. Because Sula doesn't ever throughout the course of the book, even when Nell is like Sula, like, you know, you're back in the town and you know, the town's been talking. We really want you to be this way. And she's like, no, I am who I am. And Nell, you as my friend, what are you coming here and telling me? Like, it's almost like we, we know who we are. And, and I know who I am and how can we grow at this new stage in our life? Because I'm not going to ask you to change. So please don't ask me to change. And let's just find out where we are right now. And if we can still vibe where we are right now. And if we can't, then we can't. It was a good friendship when we had it. And I would like if we could grow with it. But if we can't, then that's okay. I honor our memory. But I want you to know that I'm not asking you to change. So don't ask me to change. Wow, that was powerful. Don't ask me to change. I won't ask you to change. Let's see if we can move forward. If we can't, I'll honor our memory and keep it pushing. I love yeah. that because no one... That The reason why I love that because it doesn't put anyone in a victim standpoint. Definitely. Nor, right, nor does it put anyone in the villain, nor does it vilify anybody in a relationship. I, I love that. And, you know, I think what Sula points to is this idea that 
just because I'm not like if you fall out with someone, let's say, it's not always this idea of we fell out because like that person did something horrible to me and we will never talk again. Sometimes it's just you grew apart. Like that truly does exist. Like in, in any relationship is like we just grew apart. We're not um we we were matched at one point, we were equally yoked at one point, and now we're not. And that doesn't mean that you're poor or I'm bad. It just means that we grew apart and I it's not saying I'm gonna dishonor our memory. Like I definitely wanna own that part of our life. Like that was good, but it's not good like it was anymore. And you know, we we don't wanna work on this right now or whatever the case may be. It's not where it needs to be right now. That doesn't mean it can't happen in the future, just at this point in our life maybe it's time that we take a, a break from this because we're not we're not vibing right now i love that i love that and it definitely seems like you know with with your perspective it takes the accountability off of one person it doesn't make anyone wrong yeah. or right I, I love that so i just want to say thank you for being our first guest i'm so excited right. you were on today i hope that we were able to reach some people um, the next yes. the next set of questions are rapid fire questions. We'll ask them at the end of every show. In three words, what is wellness to you? Well, one, I want to say thank you for interviewing me and making me your first interview. And I'll answer these questions rapidly. <laughs> now, for three words that describe wellness to me, breathing, reflecting, and planning. Ooh, I love that. And why those three words? Well, one, you got to take a breath to then reflect. So you have to, oh, I'm rapping now. You got to <laughs> definitely take a breath. Like, you got to stop what you're doing and take that breath. Um, then you can reflect. Like, all right, I've stopped. Now what's going on? And then when you do that, then you can plan. Because I think once you start planning, you then you can start living. You're like, all right, time to go back. Because like, I've planned out how it's going to go. Ooh, I love that. that. That was some good advice. So what's your favorite quote or motto? Why? Now, I know you probably heard it when we did, um, we had numerous meetings. And at one point I did say in one of the meetings, I am too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> and at the time, I think I said it because, you know, I, I was stressed. And I was like, I'm way too blessed. But then the, like as this has been going on and what COVID-19 has allowed me to realize is truly thinking about that, like, God has truly blessed me. Like life is a blessing in itself. And it's just a matter of what I wish to do with that blessing and how I wish to use him as a guiding force in this blessing. Like, you know, he is going to guide me and just realizing like, what do I want to do with this blessing that I have? Cause I'm alive. Just getting up in the day is a blessing. Like not everybody. And I think if COVID taught us anything, not everyone um, gets that um, opportunity. So that's a blessing in itself. And just realizing, like, I am just too blessed to be stressed. So kind of letting go of that stressful, that stress that was there yesterday. And just kind of going into today, like, how can I make today good? I love that. Using your blessing that is already in place. I, yeah. I love that. I love that. Three words to describe the legacy you will leave behind in this world. Well, I don't necessarily have three words, but I do have a quote that I saw on a graduation cap a while back and I really liked it. And it said she came and she did what she was intended to do. Mm. She came and she did what she was intended to do. Yes, purpose is definitely, definitely important in knowing one's purpose. I love that. 
So I know I typically say I ask three questions, but I'm going to ask a, a fourth one if you if that's okay. Yes. Because you were so passionate and knowledgeable about friendships. What three words would you use to describe a healthy friendship? Now, a healthy friendship is complicated. It's going to be complicated because you should be growing. So it's supposed to be complicated. Love because love is messy. Love is all consuming. Love is uh, love is everything. Like, you know, it's kind of like that light in your eyes. Like, you know, when you feel love, so that's got to be in a healthy friendship and laughter. The three women I named today are the three women I've shared buckets and loads of laughter with. And every time we meet, we laugh. So that is like the essence of our friendships. Oh, wow. I love that. Isn't laughter so important? It is. It's the smallest distance between people. That's a quote I read on a magnet years ago. Oh, I like that. The smallest distance between people. It, it just makes yeah. time fly when you're laughing. It does. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you. You came uh, and you did exactly what you intended to do in this interview. Thank you. <laughs> so I just, I'm so utterly grateful. I'm proud of you. I'm just I'm, I'm actually looking forward to having a full circle moment with you in about five, you ten will. years. I'm just so <laughs> excited for your for your endeavors. You are young. You have the, the world in the palm of your hands. And I just learned so much from you. I'm just so, you know, honored to have you on as a first guest. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you again for listening to our first episode. If you found any value, please contribute to Dollar Sign The Lounge Unfiltered on Cash App. Again, Dollar Sign The Lounge Unfiltered. Dollar Sign T H E L O U N G E U N F I L T E R E D. Dollar Sign The Lounge Unfiltered on Cash App. Thank you.